Stay tuned to learn more about Apple's secret to finding top talent. This is The Focus Group. They're all business, except when they're not. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Hey, welcome to The Focus Group. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. Join us here every Wednesday at 1 p.m. when our show is launched on our streaming platforms and uh, all the other places where you could find media. The best way to locate us is at focusgroupradio.com. While you're there, not only will you see our sponsors, but you'll also see links to click onto our podcast, which is a 20-minute in and out, which is released every Tuesday morning. John, you saw I took my glasses. I got my glasses back. Uh (laughs) Okay. Are they the exact same ones? Well, so they had to send out to, so they're, of course, they're an Austrian pair of glasses. Where do you think Austria has their home base in the United States? Why do I want to guess something like Louisiana or Tennessee, something something like uh, a southern state? One of the places we drove through. Of course, we drove through a lot. Kentucky? No, west, further west. Uh, Oh, my God. You mean like something like uh, Texas or West, west, northwest. Northwest. Hmm. Oh, you mean when we did the uh, the multi-park road trip? Yeah. So like Washington State or Wyoming? Wyoming. <laughs> Why they're in they're... Wyoming? Even Maybe the guy that by... got them fixed said, you know, this is crazy that they're in Wyoming. But, so uh, what did they do? Did they, they save the lenses. They had to just repair the stems, right? Yeah, I sat on them. So Accidentally. And it popped, the, it popped the clip out. And he thought he could just get a little clip, which would be about 10 bucks. But they made him buy a whole new assembly on the side. He didn't charge me the full $170. But um, he charged me half that because he didn't think it was fair. I only had him three three months. But now they hurt me. I think he bent them to fit me so they didn't keep... I kept having to push them up because they were sliding off my face. Yeah. So he goes, oh, I can adjust that. So now it hurts my ear. But I don't yeah. know what to do. He said, it's is titanium. It, it hurt, don't do it yourself. Does it hurt behind? Yeah. Like, okay. Exactly where you're yeah. pointing. Did you, Have yeah. you had that happen? Yes, and it was on the frames that have the wire, thin metal. Yeah. And when I do my reading, like, yeah, I have a pair of reading glasses that have this kind of, yeah, Yeah. same. And uh, the other ones, the ones that are like your other reading glasses, the the thicker frames with the plastic stems, those Those don't really bother me as much. No, I should have stuck with the pins nez you made fun of me with. Isn't that what they were called? (laughs) Pins nez, yeah. Pins nez. When Did I, I say we got, we got some of those? We have our own pairs now? Oh, and you were making fun of me years ago with those. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you were ahead of your time, so naturally you had to have like a little rock thrown at you now and then for being ahead of your time. But yeah. we were at a Gary's birthday dinner several, well, maybe it was a year ago, and a friend of his brought out these plastic pins nez. Like they were reading <laughs> like 1.5, yeah. and he puts them on and... We borrowed them to read the menus, and now whenever I go out, I carry a pair in my pocket. And people laugh at it because it just looks so Ben Franklin ridiculous, right? But they're easy to carry, as you said. And if you lose it, you lose just a piece of plastic, right? It's, that was know. like $15 or something. It's like, yeah, 1.5 readers. They're not like your your high-end prescription, but they do the job. They do the yeah. job. So our premium ice cream maker, so last week when we did our business birthday, we'd Kate, who works at Hillwood for 
uh, Meriwether uh, Post, right? She mm-hmm. um, And she wrote the book about gardening. Uh, Kate did and so forth. So she calls me up. She heard the birthday. She said she laughed. Now, <laughs> I don't know why, but we probably do know why. Go back and listen to it, right? So, but about, she brought by her being a house mother for a bunch of frat boys in frat Boston, boys. right? Yeah. And then I heard Mother from Marjorie. Somebody, was her name Mother Marjorie? Right. right. <laughs> and then I heard from somebody, so our friends, uh, Patrick and Howard, they thought her third husband might have been gay that she married. So she went from gay to frat boy. <laughs> not, not a hard leap. But she had made some lemon ice cream. She was hoping you were going to be down again. So she did the key lime for you, which we loved with the graham cracker. Oh, my she God. She did the orange. Yeah. And now she made a lemon. So she's doing all the things that we've talked about for years. She's able to, to do. I, I just, I still don't know why. Now, she says it is expensive. Mm. And I'm wondering if that's why regular big ice cream makers won't make them. Is it too expensive to make? The ingredients are expensive? Well, in order to get the right texture and to get a lemon flavor, so it's not so artificial or so that it gives you a, a good texture, um, she buys very premium. You know, she'll buy real lemons. She bought real key limes oranges but then she because they have the citrus in it or whatever and can crystallize she does something with some sort of texture and cream so i think there's even more cream or sugar added so it doesn't doesn't get all icy Mm. anyway i'll save some for you for next time you're down thank you i i uh she well look you and i know there's a business lurking there you and i just have to have little paper hats on and walk up and down the boardwalk with our cart selling i think we're going to do like a chip witch thing right yeah. Key lime would have graham cracker. Chocolate chip cookie would have orange. And what would have lemon? Lemon, I would use a shortbread cookie. Shortbread. Done. Done. Yeah. See, look, we've already solved the problem. We don't even need a marketing team or a research for this. No, I think we got something there. She says she doesn't want to do it, though. She'll give us the recipes. She's not going to be pumping this stuff out. She's too busy at Hillwood. But isn't it her, isn't it her touch, her love of, the pro- of, of ice cream that adds to the flavor, right? John, she wasn't having it. <laughs> she she said i i'm enjoying uh experimenting here but i'm not going into a production line so. <laughs> i'm not having it yeah so I, yeah so how, how how's uh we, we've we've hit spring which is now we're getting into your time of year where you can be outside more yep we actually were outside uh for a bit upstate picking up some stuff off the lawn, checking about. It wasn't a particularly harsh winter, to be honest with you. I mean, we no. normally have a lot more tree damage and sticks down. Uh, but we were we were walking around the house. The house is not, I think I talked with you early, earlier before the broadcast, the house has not been painted in about 15 years, not for lack of wanting to do it, but for the last two or three, we've had the event get in the way of the scheduled painting. But I think for uh, you know a, a paint job that lasts seventeen years on a house is pretty pretty remarkable, good. right? Is somebody going to paint the whole thing, or are you going to do parts of it? Nope. They we we have a great painter who did it back in the two thousand five or two thousand six. He comes, he power washes first, and then he has his crew come in and do a lot of stuff. Interestingly, Bob brought up something interesting. You know, we had a bunch of storm windows replaced, right. and when they did the framing on the storm windows, they used that Trex, the fake wood. Right, which has the color baked in, like the color white. So we realized that we can reduce some of their trim painting by saying, "Don't bother painting the treks because it's already the colors built in." <laughs> right. What? And then what, um, is, what color are you going to do? Same. It's a shade. 
It's a different shade than it's there now. And Bob actually had an interesting color. It's a little, it's a greenish tan. So it's going to be a little different than it is, which I think is not a bad thing. I went for a garish, brighter color. And Bob says, see how bright this is? This might not work over the long haul. And I just, we just laughingly said the following, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. My lane what is color? What color not. was yours? Was it green? Mine was a brighter green, yeah. So you were, you, it was a no. It was almost like being at a Boy Scout camp green, you know, like, a, and no, I don't want to call it Kelly green, but it was like a, a, a brighter green. And I think that interestingly, had that been on the whole house, it might not have, but he went more in a more subtle direction. But again, I was told to stay in my lane, which we heard down in Rehoboth. Stay in your lane. You know, the, green is a good color to pick because that's what color they painted the boathouse I belong to in Philadelphia, even though our club colors are blue and white. They pick green because it, it takes the fading good with the sun. Yes, yes, yes. It Unlike does. other colors. Yeah. So that's probably why your paint lasted so long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. So what, uh, what caught your eye this week? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. Well, um, what caught my eye is Lego. And uh -oh. um, you'll know why in a moment. And uh, when I put up the picture here, basically, there's a store in Chicago called Citizen Brick, and they create custom little Lego pieces. And they've created one of Ukrainian President Zelensky, and they've created a little Lego thing that is a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> oh my God. So apparently, people <laughs> go crazy buying these things. They're called mini figs. They're like, they're tiny little Lego figures that are scaled to match the bricks, and they. They clip onto things, but obviously Lego would not make this themselves because um, they just wouldn't. I mean, you see the little Zelensky figure, then the little Molotov cocktail thing. So this company called Citizen Brick in Chicago uh, did it for them. And, you know, an example of other things they carry, you know, for 25 bucks, you can pick up a minifig of Carrie, you know, from the movie Carrie, right. a knife wielding green beret or a squid game player. Now, squid was that Netflix show that came out of South Korea that was really popular a while ago. You could also buy cigarettes, condoms, and bandaged heads for your Lego bodies and, and your parts. So in other words, these are not, as they say here, these are, these are not corporately sanctioned Legos, but you know they, they can do this anyway. So now Citizen Brick is offering Molotov cocktails and, and President Zelensky as a custom set. And in light of the recent invasion of Ukraine, uh, they have decided to do this to raise money and donations to help the uh, Ukrainian refugees. So they had a sale, and I think they raised sixteen or seventeen thousand selling. Yeah, sixteen thousand five hundred forty selling this batch of the Zelensky and the Molotov cocktail thing. They're thinking of doing another batch of these, except this time they're thinking of doing a little miniature Lego thing of a javelin missile or something like right. that. <laughs> they need to do a Putin. They well. I just th I just think it's really kind of a funny little uh, little thing, and all as I said, all proceeds are going to help with uh, resettling of the refugees. But um, yeah, minifig. So it's not actually a, a Lego store then. Well, it, no, Citizen Brick is a private store, and they create these their own concoctions, but they use Lego parts to do it. So it's not sanctioned by Lego, right. but it's certainly Lego. You know. Like I'll have to check. Thing. I'll have to check them out because maybe they've got a Kim Kim Jong Un I can get <laughs> with a rocket. Just, 
look up well, when you when you I'll look up later citizen brick yeah citizen I, I brick. mean okay. apparently they've got a lot of and people buy these even if they're not Lego fans just to have them on a shelf for just to yeah. have it as a conversation piece I love that stuff there was a, a company well I don't know if it was real but you know those model kits you could buy the plastic model kits and you'd have a you know a car you would do or you know science fiction stuff you would do the space um you know space kits or whatever mm-hmm. so somebody mocked one up of a bunch of army equipment so one had a tank one had like a cannon stuff and they were all being pulled by tractors and so they were called the it was the um ukrainian editions because of all the ukrainian farmers who've been stealing the russian equipment with their tractors yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so the boxes look great because it was like you know this army stuff and then there's a tractor they they had photoshopped in front of it pulling the pulling the equipment so i thought that was now, Quite funny. I, I just popped over to Citizen Brick, and it says here that what I profiled, the Zelensky and the Molotov cocktail kit, they're sold out. And it says, oh. thank you to everyone who helped us raise 145000 wow. for aid to Ukraine. We will not be making any more. Please consider making a direct donation. And then you could, of course, shop other things. I was going to look for, like, you wanted me to look for Kim Jong Kim Jong-un. No, they don't make a. <laughs> if they hear the broadcast, they better get on board and make one for us, right? No, then we need to. We need to get a Kim Jong Un doll. So, all right. Well, that's a good one. I like that. I'm gonna. Look, I'm definitely gonna peruse through there and see what else they have. I had. Um. I picked this story came across my uh, feed, and I don't know how I got it, but it says the Price Is Right Dream Car Week. Every SUV and truck they've given away. So somebody compiled how many. So. Last month was the 50th anniversary of The Price is Right. It's America's longest-running TV game show. And to celebrate the 50th anniversary, they were going to give away 30 cars in one week. Um, or I'm sorry, 30 cars in, in, in the month. How many cars over the years since 72 do you think they've given away in the show? I'm going to throw out the number. Um, I'm going to say they've given away 4,000 over that time period. That would be a good guess. I don't know if I don't. I was shocked by the number because I guess I never thought about it. But eight thousand four hundred cars have been given away. Eight thousand four hundred cars. Yeah, that's a lot wow. of rubber. So starting on so this was so last month in February for the was the start of the anniversary. They had thirty cars, and so Car and Driver had compiled the list of all the cars and gave the options and what they were giving away from the least expensive to the most expensive. And what your chances were, depending upon the game of winning it. Also, on that big wheel that they would spin before the showcase. Yep. If you landed on the dollar, you'd get $25,000 or something. Now, if you landed on the dollar during, again, Dream Week for the autos, you would get an Alfa Romeo. They were giving you a car. (laughs) Wow. So the least expensive car they're giving away is a Mitsubishi Mirage. $16,125. What year Uh, was that? So, well, it's this year. A Mirage is still a Mitsubishi Mirage is that cheap in 2022? It's a shit bucket. Okay. You've seen that thing. <laughs> okay, got it. As as my old trainer used to call it, Pete Burns. But um no, it's a little, you know, it's a little Econo car. It gets 43 miles per gallon. I shouldn't say it's a well, I said what I said. So <laughs> it's the Mitsubishi Mirage starts at 16125. The one you'd want is probably 25. The um and then they're doing a Kia, Kia Forte, Nissan Sentra, Mazda, Hyundai, a bunch of Hyundais, uh, another Kia, a Mini Cooper, 
How much do you think a Mini Cooper is now? You know, I want to say a Mini Cooper is twenty three grand. Twenty seven seven fifty. Twenty seven seven for a Mini Cooper? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's made by BMW, right? Or they they own the brand now. Yeah. So the uh, Toyota Camry for twenty seven nine sixty. They said Bob Barker's first price is right aired in seventy two, eleven years before the Camry even debuted. It's been the best selling car in America since two thousand two. A new Hyundai pickup truck, Jeep Compass, another Mazda, another Mazda, Ford Edge, Lexus, a Corvette. How much Corvettes are now, you think? I'm going to get a Corvette must be in the 27 range, 24, 27. Oh, boy. you got to go shop. What if, I to- what if I told you you could get either a Porsche Boxster or a Corvette? What would you For take? the same price? I don't think that's the price, right? What would you take? I would probably take a take a Porsche Boxster, Porsche. but that's okay, like so a forty cent. No, nope. right? so no Chevy Chevy Corvette sixty two one forty five. The Porsche Boxster seven eighteen sixty three nine fifty. Oh my God! Are you kidding me? For another fifteen k, you can get the Maserati SUV. Wow, eighty thousand. Wow. The most expensive car they're giving away is an Audi e-tron GT electric car. One hundred and three thousand eight hundred ninety-five dollars. That's a lot of gas for that yeah. electric car. Yeah, so. yeah, and you better be able to charge that wherever you go, right? Yeah. So everybody, if you've tuned into the, I my dad still watches the prices, right? I have you have you tuned into it? Yeah, yeah. I uh, Drew Carey still hosting, right? Yeah, and they have yeah, it on at yeah. nights. I I stumbled on Buzzer on, and you could get that on Pluto now because you can't get it down here, but you might get it on your regular regular feed. They show the prices right with Bob Cullen. From the 50s. Oh, my God. They would give away airplanes, like an actual airplane you could fly. They were giving away, you know, Cessna airplane. They were giving away yachts, <laughs> houses, a house in the suburb. Sign, sign me up for a yacht, please, right? You can't imagine the stuff they were giving away, John. I couldn't believe it. It was shocking. So <laughs> In the 1950s, right? Yeah. I was... I was if you can watch them, they're they're in black and white, and and it, it's a different format than they do now, obviously. But it was uh, really something to see. So, yeah, that's the price. Prices right, Dream Week. So get yourself a car, <laughs> a lot of cars. <laughs> you know, you and I know nobody ever wins a car, right? Because how many times we try to give a car away? People, nonprofits, always let's give a car away, let's give a car away. What people don't understand is there's an imputed income that comes to it. So if you yep. want a fifty thousand dollar car. Do you want to pay the tax on 50000 or do you want to get money instead? And every time we tried to do one of these things, people always opted for the money. Yeah, yeah. No and and that was one of my biggest challenges when I was uh, doing work with Subaru as an agency was explaining to a not-for-profit that if we gave a car away, we'd happily do it. But they either had to pay the tax for the person receiving it, which obviously was uh, counterproductive to them trying to raise money to raffle a car or whatever. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We had two different ad agencies that we had to argue with. In both cases, the they wanted to raffle a car, which is another problem, right? Because you don't mm-hmm. want to be embarrassed if nobody bids on the car. In both cases, the ad agencies had to buy the vehicle. So. <laughs> one was for Lance Armstrong Foundation. One was for Martina. Two different events they wanted to raise money for, but uh, nobody wanted to bid up. You don't go to, you don't go out that night to a dinner fundraiser. I'll buy a car. No, no. It's it's like a it's like a how much is a car weigh two thousand pounds three thousand yeah probably it's like an albatross you it, yeah. it's like that's like going to a dinner and picking up you know it's not that's not your normal gift bag no. <laughs> no. 
So, hey, many of you know that uh, Deep Discounts friends of ours here on the Focus Group. You can get there by going to focusgroupradio.com and clicking on the Deep Discount logo. Right now, there's a site-wide sale going on all month. And uh, so you can start clicking away and find all kinds of great things there. So Mr. Nash, what, what uh, did you find at Deep Discount this week? I went old school. And I, I have to confess that I went with a movie that I, I don't see that often on TV. And I have an affinity for it because I remember seeing it when I was younger in the movie theater. So I'll tell you right now, you don't have to hold your breath too long, but it's uh, the Blu-ray version of Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, my God. And uh, it stars Albert Finney as famed Belgian detective Hercule Poirot in a classic <laughs> Agatha Christie thriller. I thought you'd appreciate my Hercule Poirot. <laughs> where, do we still have that? Do we still have that imaging that from Sirius where learn French with John? Yes. We got and, and to dig should, that up. I, I don't have to dig too far. I know exactly where it is. And it still <laughs> makes me laugh because I think it was Suzanne did the voiceover and she's like, learn French with John. <laughs> Uh, so it's Agatha Christie, uh, American <laughs> businessman Richard, who's played by Richard Widmark, is killed on the Ori- on the uh, Orient Express as it's, as it's making its transcontinental journey, and Poirot is on board, and he's going to uncover the murderer. But I love the cast. It's Ingrid Bergman, who won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar for that role, Lauren Bacall, Anthony Perkins, Sean Connery, Jacqueline Bissett, John Gielgud, wow. Wendy Hiller, and Vanessa Redgrave. So... Basically, you're taking a train ride with a whole bunch of wonderful stars from a certain time period. That's why they're in this movie. They're all brought together. And uh, I still think it holds up really well. And I love some of the acting, particularly Albert Finney as Hercule Poirot. Pro- <laughs> it's almost so like a mad, 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 mad world. Well, mad world, yeah. Jeez. I had picked uh, something that I had, had popped in. And actually, it's just been released this week. It's Saturday Night Live, the complete first five seasons. And, you know, originally Saturday Night Live started in 1975, but this is a 37-disc set. Every show from the first five seasons, it's $129.99. And uh, so it's every sketch, every musical act, um, every one of the complete episodes, all those characters, everyone from Chevy Chase, Jim Belushi, Don, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Garrett Morris, Bill Murray, Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin, I mean, it's uh, it was classic TV at its best. And some of the musical acts, Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Grateful Dead, Blondie, Talking Heads, Doobie Brothers, Meatloaf, Ray Charles, ABBA, B-52s. I mean, unbelievable list. Rolling Stones. So live performances on the show. I like looking at some of those old ones. It certainly is a time capsule of uh, kind of pop culture as it was going on then. And, you know... Um... Yeah, and this this is going to hook into something we're going to talk about right before we do Shop Talk after the break, which is this is a time capsule on what we used to laugh at, too, and what we used to, we were allowed to laugh at right. before things changed or we evolved our thinking on stuff. Because not all, I, I, do you think they've given you every single episode in, in this it kit? It says every, ep- from seasons one through five, so 75 to 80, it okay. says every every sketch, every act. Uh, for the first time, it was just released uh, this week, every complete episode. And so, yeah, they list, they, they talk about uh, em- Emily Latella, the Coneheads, uh, Barbara Wawa, the Blues Brothers, the Loud yeah. Singers, Wild and Crazy Guys, <laughs> Buck, Buck Henry's Uncle Roy, yeah. um, <laughs> See, Samurai, there we go. Yeah. Julia Childs. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's all of it. 
So that's some of the best stuff they've ever done, right? Yep. Yeah. So it's uh, so you'd be able to pick that up at uh, deep discount. What's the uh, what was the release this week? Uh, the new release is a movie that I'm actually dying to see, and I did not see when it came out in theaters. It's called Nightmare Alley, and it stars Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett. And um, I did I, I thought this was something to do with a carnival or something, but it's a little different than that. So having so basically. Bradley Cooper plays a a drifter named Stanton Carlisle, and he has he's someone who learned the nuances of a mentalist act during his stint as a carny. But I guess that's why I was so associated with it, the carnival thing uh, as a carny drifter. He, and he, so he heads to New York to establish himself as a social, society psychic. However, his overreach in partnering with corrupt psychologist Lilith, Lilith Ritter, who's played by Cain uh, Blanchett, in order to better fleece the big town's elite, will come with a sh- with a shattering price. Uh, Guillermo Guillermo del Toro's stylish, foreboding redo of the nineteen forty seven noir staple also stars Rooney Mora, Tony Collette, William Defoe, and Richard Jenkins. So this got good reviews, and it was uh, it, it looked interesting. So I'm definitely going to pick this up, and I think it's only like twenty four ninety nine at deep discount on Blu ray. But the release this week is nightmare alley so there you go we're going to review here what we all picked i picked this week murder on the orient express basically because i love this classic time capsule ensemble cast and i still think albert finney is my favorite hercule poirot there we go tim i said that right (laughs) well you think so yeah i do think so and tim picked saturday night live the complete first five seasons not only is it a time capsule of the show, but it's some of the best sketches and some of the best routines that I remember. I mean, they still do some great stuff, but those early years are just off the rails. And then the release this week is a nightmare alley. And we also want to remind uh, listeners that we are giving away focus group radio socks during the month of March in honor of the Oscars and a bunch of other awards that all seem to coalesce around this time of year. If you get something from deep discount, send us a picture or a note to, of what you got to um, letters at focusgroupradio.com and uh, I will send you a pair of our famous Focus Group Radio socks. And if your socks are a little on the edge and you think you want a new pair, I often fulfill those requests as well. So send away letters at focusgroupradio.com. We're going to take a really quick break and when we come back, we have business birthday and we have a shop talk. So stay with us. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now back to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere. Hello, hello. Welcome back to The Focus Group. Tim Bennett here with John Nash. Be sure to find us here every week. Learn more about us and all of our programming at focusgroupradio.com. That's also our social media handle, which is Focus Group Radio, particularly on Facebook. And uh, John came up with an idea this week that we're going to try out. And uh, we're going to post one of our shop talk topics or one of the topics that we have, kind of a hot topic for the the week, and uh, get feedback from you all. 
and uh, then we could share it on the uh, share it on the show. So, John, what was the first you had found an article that related to humor, wasn't it? Yes, and let me get our headline here. Yes, so this was an opinion piece that was written in the UK, and the headline reads, The Deluded BBC Thinks Censoring Little Britain, if you guys remember Little Britain, the comedy series, will appease the woke BLM brigade. But canceling offensive, offensive comedy puts us on a communist-style path towards erasing our cultural heritage. So Tim and I often joke about the fact that some of the stuff that we love and laugh at could not be made today. Um, it would just cross too many lines and, and yet we do have a, a history of, of jokes and humor and in little Britain's case, that was a, those guys were equal offenders, weren't they? I mean, I don't think anybody escaped their, <laughs> their comic right. eye. Um, so we're going to post that article and we would love to get your feedback and what you think about it, because that, that also pertains to things like the Catherine Tate show. I mean, even think of, um, Tracy Mel Brooks's Ullman. first movie, you know, Blazing Saddles. I don't even know if they can make that today. So it might be interesting to get people's opinions on that. Well, a lot of those, a lot of people said a lot of those John Hughes movies couldn't be made today. Pretty in Pink, you know. uh, The Breakfast, right? They, 16 Candles. 16 Candles, yeah. Yeah, they don't, they don't show. So, you know, I know it was a different time, but uh, some of this canceling of, of things makes, well, it, as you said, I think you said you had seen somebody say that it's difficult for stand-up comedians to even do anything now because someone's going to be offended yeah yeah i saw somebody posted one with joan rivers going after somebody she made a comment about somebody who was deaf and somebody in the audience yelled at her and she went off on him (laughs) so yeah she i mean she really went off on the guy but and uh, i think what i'd I'd ultimately like to do with everybody that's listening is we're going to set up a new phone number uh, our friends that do it over at DNR as well, where you can call and leave a comment or a thought about something and they'll curate those. And then I, I would love to add that kind of audio back in because that reminds me of when we used to be live and you could call in. And we used sometimes, Tim, you and I were taken by surprise by some of the calls for sure, right? Yeah, I miss the calls. The calls were fun. It was fun when the phone would ring. They were. We learned a lot. We learned a lot from the listeners. So now uh, we could always just still do a Facebook Live event at some point, and and people can chime in. And we could use Streamyard, what we're using now for that, and they could actually join us on air. You know, give it some thought. How does that work? They could just call uh, into we would the set show? up the broadcast. It would stream into YouTube and to Facebook, and then people could be given. Uh, we could let our listeners know in advance that if they want to join the studio, they could just plug in a a URL, and they can come into the green room. We call it and. And then we would bring them into the broadcast and they would surprise us with either fun things or like maybe they could be, you know, whatever. But <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering about how you screen that, actually. That's why. I well, you don't. Of, yeah, that's you get what every, you get. Yeah. Every once in a while, people got through, right? So um, so look for that on our Facebook pages. Focus Group Radio will send out a reminder uh, this week on that and post the article. Our uh, business birthday this week. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. I think this birthday today, John, we've done before, uh, many years ago, but it was so good, we're going to do it again. Um, her name is Betty Nesmith Graham. She was born March 23rd, 1924. She died at 56, young. Uh, she was young when she passed away in 1980. She was an American typist, a commercial artist, and the inventor of the correction fluid liquid paper. 
So uh, she was born in Dallas. She was raised in San Antonio, Texas. They said she was a troublesome teenager. And uh, she dropped out of high school. She got pregnant and uh, had a baby. And, uh, of course, she had a baby. She got pregnant. And um, <laughs> yeah, the- <laughs> one follows the other, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, uh, so the guy she had the baby with uh, named Warren Nesmith abandoned her and the kid. And uh, so she left and went back to Dallas as a single mother. And uh, she worked as a secretary at the Texas Bank and Trust. And she also, to make extra money, would um, remember when people would do the the windows, you know, do windows, you know, for sale here, or window writing or window advertising yeah. with, uh, what was that, paint they would use? Yeah, yeah. So she is a commercial artist. She, she always, when she was typing, she was often frustrated about having to fix typos. It was very difficult with an electric typewriter and fixing uh, mistakes and so it would slow down the work and she said you know when I um, you know when she would paint holiday windows at the bank for instance she said whenever I made a mistake with a letter all I would do is paint over it and then do it again yeah and yeah. so she said I wonder if I could do that with typing so she worked with her son's chemistry teacher at the high school and came up with this tempura white water-based paint in a little bottle her son would help her mix it up they started in the in the house Moved out into the garage and then to a little, a little place out in, uh, out in the yard at little shed, and uh, would make what she called mistake out in 1956. And she would quietly share it with the different people in the office, and then she got admonished by her bosses saying that you know she shouldn't be doing this. But uh, people love the stuff, and she was mentioned in a trade journal, and General Electric, lo and behold, bought a huge order and allowed her to hire an employee. And um, so that's how she kicked off this liquid paper company. So she changed the name. She married another guy. She ended up selling the business. Um, it became successful, obviously. She was smart that she got out at the right time. She sold the company to Gillette for $47.5 million in 1979. <laughs> and, uh, you know, talk about perfect timing for her, right? Right before the com- Right before computers started, you know, toward our what, the mid-80s when computers started to come on and word processors. So uh, she was able to get out in time because I don't think anybody, does anyone still use Whiteout? You know, I next time I'm in Staples looking for mailers or envelopes, whatever, I'm going to look for liquid paper. But I have, that used to be something that was so ubiquitous. So wait yep. a minute, you said she sold the company in 79? Yep. So, so she, um, so 1957, she went into business. Uh, she got this big, big order from uh, from GE. GE. She um, marries a guy in 1962 named Robert Graham. He helps get the business up and running more more successfully than what she was doing out of out of the out of the shed. They divorced in '75. She ended up in '79 selling liquid paper to Gillette. In today's dollars, they said it'd be about 175 million. But she sold it for 47.5, and uh, she employed at the time. Uh, 200 people, and she was selling about 25 million bottles a year of this stuff. So the, um, but I, th- I thought, gosh, talk about good timing to get out as the as the typewriter was going away, right? Right before the typewriter kind of saw saw better days, she got out before computers took over because nobody would probably buy it now for that kind of money. So you you have her as passing away in 1980, right? Yes. So that's only like a year after she sold the business? So she sold the business. She suffered a stroke. Oh. 
And she, uh, in May 1980, at the age of 56, and so she left her fortune, half of it to her son, and half of it she set up a foundation. Uh, she was very religious, and um, but so she she set up this foundation that would help uh, unwed mothers, um, battered women, and women that wanted to get into to careers or to to you know support themselves. And yeah. so she set up a foundation for that, and then the other half of the money she gave to her son. Her son inherited fifty million. She did fifty million to this to wow. this foundation. They also said she believed that woman could bring a more nurturing and humanistic humanistic quality to the male world of business. And so she would provide an employee library. She had childcare. She had um, different areas for people to kind of meditate or whatever. This is back in seventy five, way before anybody thought of this. So far ahead of her time, right? Yeah. So it. it um, so I said she was a mother. So her mother, she was the mother to Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. He was the good. <laughs> oh my god! Player. Really? Yeah. He's so that was. She she gets pregnant as a you know late teen. The guy leaves her. Um, she and the son. She said Michael helped her mix these bottles of liquid paper, or mistake out at that time they called it, and then he was uh, he played guitar and ended up getting you know he was part of the Monkees. He was a member. Of the monkeys, one of the guitar players. It was her only son, Michael Nesmith. So she ended up contributing a lot more than liquid paper. She yeah. contributed, you know, a son who gave us because I we used to watch the monkeys. I mean, <laughs> hey, hey, we're the monkeys. <laughs> yeah, they said she finally was. Um, I guess they said time. Uh, the New York Times had done uh, a an exp or a, I guess an article on prominent people who had been overlooked and they had, she was one of the people that they felt was overlooked. So the, in 2018, the New York times actually published a belated obituary for her, you know, 30 years later. So I cool. know they have that section now and it's, yeah. it's, it's the overlooked and it's, and I love it because it's people that should have had it a proper and, and come on, my God, she transformed all of us in college until you had that correction cartridge. Oh my that God. Slid in. Liquid yeah. paper was the stuff. It was like gold. Yeah, because if you didn't have it, you'd rip the page out and you had to start from scratch again, right? Yep. You know, it's it's. I, I lo always love how these inventions are founded, right? It's it was that you'll remember his name because you're far better than me with names. Remember, it was that guy who told us every every week write down three things that need to be solved. Jay Sam, you'll come on to something. That's what it was, Jay Sam. Yeah, I knew you would remember that. Well, actually, he, he, and you did it for a while and you came up with a whole bunch of things. You came up with a lawn cutting serve app that, you know, yep. if you're, if you had a lawnmower and you wanted to cut someone's thing, you came up with the parking space thing. The parking one. Like if and, you had a monthly spot in a right. garage and if you weren't going to be there, someone could rent the spot. But his thing was keep a pad of paper and pencil handy and write down all the little problems you might encounter during the day that you think you have a solution to. And he said, if you do this for 30 days in a row, you will, in fact, figure out something. I, I guess we should start doing it again, right? Well, listen, if I told you at the end of the 30 days we're going to have a million-dollar idea, I think we'd start writing. <laughs> I agree. We got these I ice agree. cream sandwiches. <laughs> and that's a solution that's just waiting for a problem. The problem's <laughs> called warm weather, and everybody wants uh, ice, ice cream, you scream, we all scream, ice cream, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So there you go. I think Bunky wouldn't be too happy if she was uh, grinding out the ice cream every day. Well, maybe, right? Listen, 
you know, I money comes in, you're happy, right? <laughs> what did, what did our friend, uh, our friend's mom tell us? Boys, if someone offers you money, what do you do? Take it. Take it. Yeah. Somebody offers you money, you take it. So, hey, early on, uh, and, and John had mentioned, and we did in the teaser, that uh, our shop talk today is uh, from our friends, or it's regarding our friends at Apple. And uh, the headline is, Apple uses the rule of three E's to find the nation's top talent. They said, for the 15th year in a row, Apple has topped Fortune, uh, Fortune's world's most admired companies list. They're also number one in my book with the mantra of the customer's always wrong. But beside that, I think... Um, <laughs> Don't you think? Uh, I have to confess with Apple. Yeah, but I think I I think they have an attitude. Yeah. Well, I have to say, you and I have very different experiences with Apple and the Genius Bar. Um, And I have to say as well that if I were ever a genius at an Apple store, and I do think I should try this, by the way, I think I could actually pull it off. what I have learned is language is key. And they I think they assume that everybody speaks about these things the same way, right? They don't. And they don't, no. And like when I went in one time, I had a hardware problem and I I came with a, uh, a, te- a printout of a test that I had run on the laptop. And the genius says, well, he said, what do you think? And I said, I think the memory or the motherboard's damaged because it would never kick back a test like this if it weren't. And he goes, well, you just made my job a lot easier. You're right. We're going to take the laptop. We're going to replace the motherboard and we'll have it back in two days. I remember calling you from the Apple store. I'm like, I'm losing the laptop. I'm going to buy another one. When the new one, the other one comes back and it's replaced, that will be your new laptop, which is the one we just retired for you. But I walked out of there thinking, if I didn't know any of that, I would have been in there for a while and they would have done all this diagnosis stuff. And I might not have understood a thing they were saying if I wasn't like me, but anyway. Oh, when I was last that. in there, no, when I was last in there for my music, I mean, the, the one guy, when I told him what we needed to move the music, he just kind of went, gave me one of these, you know, cockeyed looks. And then he boom, 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 within less than 20 seconds, all he, here's your music. I thought I can't be that easy. John John knows how to do this stuff, and John's puzzling over this. So, and of course that the music moved, but it didn't move, right? Yeah. So <laughs> then it became hours. You know, go, yeah. go shop, come back, go shop. Oh, I needed to keep your computer for a week. No, I I can't. It was like when I went in there to get a, was it the iPads for us, and they had a new color. Yeah, and I wanted, and I thought, oh, I wonder if I should get the gold one, rose gold. I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> the guy, just a little cocky guy, looks at me and goes, "Hmm, it's a little forward." I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't peg you for that kind of guy. Color, yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? He just kind of sh- his shoulders. I think I'd stay with the white or gray. And <laughs> <laughs> I find out it's like te- te- yeah, because it was all like little teenage girls who were buying the rose pink or whatever that was, rose gold. I said, so well, he did you a favor. He did yeah, you a favor. But, you know, but smart, you know, snarkily. Yeah. Anyway, back to shop talk. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, so they are known for hiring some great people. Of course, we have friends that have, have worked at Apple and, uh, and so we can attest to that. But they talk about how they find the right candidates or the right people. And so many people going through the job search uh, get stuck in these uh, artificial intelligence um, algorithms or your resume gets spit out based upon keyword searches or something. And while Apple does that, like so many companies do to kind of weed out um, what they think they're looking for, they also, within the personal interview phase, employ this thing that they call the three E's. 
in order to find what they think are the best employees. So there were three three E's. Obviously, each thing starts with an E. So what was the what was the first one? Expertise. As evident as it sounds, your first line of defense when fielding candidates is expertise. So to get even deeper into this faster, upon first glance, every resume will tell you experience and education, but they're not necessarily going to give you a transparent read on a candidate's degree of expertise, which is a little bit different. To find this, the nation's leading employers and most innovative companies and CEOs, such as Elon Musk, I love the, they throw his name around all the yeah. time, use the two hands test where a candidate needs to have two things, first-hand experience and hands-on testing. They don't delve into this any further on the expertise side, unless they consider hands-on testing questions that would probably probe, let's say you're going into the marketing and advertising area and they would say something like, Give me an example of a challenge that threw you for a loop or that you're proud of how you solved it. Does that sound like a hands-on test to you, Tim? Well, yeah. And also um, earlier on when they talk about the difference between expertise and experience. So you might say, oh, I'm an expert in something. Well, really? Well, what's your experience with it? I mean, you and I have run across a lot of people that were quote unquote experts within marketing to the LGBTQ consumer. Yep. When you ask what the experience was, well, they worked with a nonprofit once. Well, okay, but did you really <laughs> did you really sell consumer products, you know, or did you do something that had a more tangible, yeah, um, yeah. business to consumer focus rather than maybe a nonprofit thing? So it's it's the ex- the actual experience versus your quote unquote expertise or education. Number number two, they said unlike expertise, ease is something. So ease was number two of the three E's. Unlike expertise, ease is something that you can't read on a resume. They said one really uh, easy way to gauge a candidate's readiness is by how easy the interview is for them. So, for example, if you're sitting down, you get asked a number of questions. It's how easily this candidate or how easily you would as a candidate respond to these questions and how comfortable you are. So can you answer the questions without having to overthink it or trying to, in your mind, form, form what you think might be the right answer? It's, um, it's really your ease and comfort level of just being able to handle the interview and, and being comfortable. And it's evident that um, you're not all tongue-tied. I We've all run into this. I mean, I'm sure. Have you ever been stumped in an interview where somebody yeah, asked you a question? I, this is one of the ones that I was going to ask. Well, I was going to run it by you as well, and you're doing it for me already. But they said here, ideally, a candidate is candid. And when they are, it will be evident that the answers are rolling off their tongue. And yet, you and I have heard advice from experts and we've even given people advice that sometimes the best thing to do is to just puzzle about what you're being asked first and then answer it. So, so this, this sort of flies in the face of that. Like they're, they're, they're saying that you should have the ease and the, and of being candid and just like saying something. Whereas I thought that the learning was, well, you can be candid, but you don't want to sound, you don't want to come off with a half baked idea. Right. Right. Well, and so much of this happens with um, behavioral interviewing, where you know everybody has the same dot points or the same skill set, but then they want to see how you would handle what's your behavioral, um, you know, skill set in terms of how you handle certain things that may come up, whether it's employee issues or working with coworkers or working with other teams, and that's when it becomes you'd have to really think. Uh, I've been interviewing. In, interviews like that where they'll ask you, has there ever been a time where you've had to 
fire somebody right. or have you had, you know, in some of the, t- yeah, there is, but it's usually a disciplinarian thing or something, right? I mean, it's not, I don't know. I, I think some of that stuff with the behavioral stuff is um, difficult off the top of your head to just ramble something out. And I'm amazed by sometimes when I see people get hired and thinking, if they were asked the same questions, what experience, what, what did they say? Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. but anyway. So, yeah, so uh, number number two was ease and comfort. And the, and the last one here is employability. And um, they, they set it up this way. Apple recognizes the fact that the right candidate doesn't simply have the skills and expertise required to do the job, but the right demeanor, character, and culture fit for successful careers within the company. To find candidates that are the perfect fit, Apple uses real-life tests within its interview process to test employability. For example, it often uses group interviews to mimic the competitive nature of working within some of its teams or asking candidates bizarre questions mid-interview, such as, is a coconut a fruit? To test the candidate's ability to roll with interruptions and indulge the curiosity of others, something that can happen frequently within the office. Um, I'm not sure that that's a... I get it under the Rubicon or under the title of employability. I mean, when you, when you interrupt someone, you say to them, is a tomato a fruit or, you know, (laughs) it just seems a little spurious to me. Like, okay, did you ever pull any of this stuff or I've never done these, but I I think they're all gimmicky. You know, I, I was in an interview once and a guy, he hands me a piece of paper. Obviously he wanted to go to the bathroom or go eat. Was I think what happened? He hands me a piece of paper and he says, (laughs) I want to, when I come back, I want you to um, have a, you need to write a billboard of what Tim, you know, Tim Bennett's billboard. If I'm on the highway. I remember this. I remember this. And, um, you know, or, or what would your philosophy be or what is your, and I forget how he. I know totally his thing was, it. what would your billboard be? Right. Yeah. And I said, okay. I said, I don't need you to go. I don't need you to leave. And I just wrote down, I'm busy. And I handed <laughs> it to him. Obviously I didn't get the job. But um, <laughs> so, but I, you know, I thought that was stupid. I mean, what were you going to write? Three adjectives, you know, charming. I mean, there, there there is something to that employability thing where if you're in a team setting and you're in a meeting, and and you know, you and I have been in, we have presented and we've done pitches where we were, were interrupted constantly. However, I want to point out that the interruptions are often related to what we're presenting. So it's not like we're thrown off balance. Someone might ask us something that we're going to talk about five minutes down the road and we'll say, you know, we're going to actually get to that. It's an excellent point. But it sounds like the Apple test is a little different where they want to just inject random things to see how quickly you can answer and then recover and get back to doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? We had that, I think we had a book we we covered many years ago about Google's hiring practices, which were somewhat similar where they, they said, how many red balls are there in Canada? Canada, yeah. So you would have to say, well, there's 35 million people in Canada. Probably that means there's maybe 15 million households. Probably every household has three balls. I'll say 45 million balls. Exactly. I, I don't know. I mean, right? But, I mean, but that's they, kind of They were the testing process. the rationale that you would approach the problem with, which you just did. You broke it down yeah. and you solved it. Yeah. So my philosophy in hiring people was always, I I would, and I I think this came from Harvard Business School, but a lot of people use it, but it was essentially hire for attitude and train for skill. 
And I would always just hire people that I felt were uh, enthusiastic. They had some humility, a good work ethic, integrity, had initiative. I mean, a lot of the jobs that I would hire people for, you had to be on your own and travel a lot. Yeah. And I used to always say, when you're doing these events, something always happens. And you need to just figure it out and keep it moving. And I don't want a phone call about it unless somebody's, you know, killed. So um, just make sure that, you know, if the tent doesn't show up or the service doesn't show up or people you're figure it out. Down. Yeah, yeah, just figure it out. And I will say I've been very fortunate and and uh, always hiring really good. I don't think I ever had a bad hire in one of those by using that uh, approach of hiring. I know attitude. everyone that you, I, I know almost, I worked with every almost everyone you direct yeah. hired and they were fantastic. So I think that's even the, that could sum up our shop talk, hire for um, attitude. attitude, train for skill. Yep. Yeah, that's 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 I, I that's always been, and I think that came from the Harvard Business School. I, I, I wouldn't doubt somewhere, it. But, yeah, yeah, but I think it's a good for me, and and for us, I think it's a good, a good philosophy, good yardstick. Yep. All right, folks, we're going to wrap it up there. We want to thank you for joining us today here on the Focus Group. Remember, it's focusgroupradio.com. That's the URL for our website, and you can find out all about us, and you'll also know learn about TFG Unbuttoned, our other audio podcast. Twenty minutes drops on Tuesday want to thank Deep Discount for being a partner of ours here on the Focus Group. We would like you to visit them by visiting us. You go to focusgroupradio.com, click on the Deep Discount logo, and start your shopping. It is a month-long sale, shark-wide, shark madness, site-wide sale. That's the way to say it. Uh, <laughs> I picked Murder on the Orient Express Blu-ray, classic ensemble cast from days of yore. <laughs> Tim picked an incredible new collection of the first five years of Saturday Night Live. And the new release this week is Nightmare Alley. So that's deepdiscount.com. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, We really appreciate you spending time here. And we look forward to seeing you next week. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.